Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My party can stand over its record of the change we have delivered and will deliver. And I say to those who point the finger at us, what have you delivered? What has the traditional unionist voice party delivered by way of change to the protocol? Absolutely nothing. Not a single thing. And yet they put up posters in the dark of the night talking about a sellout. Well, what have they sold? What have they delivered? Sir Geoffrey Donaldson seems to have found his mojo. His impassioned speech in Parliament on Wednesday showed a very different side to the DUP leader. I was threatened. Threatened. By those who never put on a uniform. By those who haven't served our country. And when I checked out, one of the people who threatened me on the register didn't vote at the last election. Can't even come out to vote for our future in the union. Never mind do anything about it. Could it be that he's now ready to face his opponents in a joust over the future of Northern Ireland? Or will he choose to continue the crusade against the Windsor framework? Or allow devolution to pass back over the bridge? The truth is, Mr Deputy Speaker, there are some who don't want Stormont back, who, and I quote, would rather have imperfect direct rule than an imperfect Stormont. And yet they're the same people who, who berate the government of the United Kingdom and this parliament for selling them out. I've run out of night cliches, so let's get on with it. I'll soon be joined by commentators Sarah Crichton and Owen Pauley. But first, Andrew Madden, reporter with the Belfast Telegraph, joins me in the studio with the latest. Andrew, you've been covering this story for a couple of weeks and um, mm-hmm. we, we, when we discussed making this podcast, we... We're discussing it before the speech. Before the speech, yeah. And what a speech. What a speech indeed. I mean, it just came completely out of left field, to be honest. Um, Sir Jeffrey Donaldson, he's not known for being uh, as forceful as he was. I mean, he's not just kind of, you know, prone to dithering. Um, You know, he's he's soft-spoken. But yesterday in the Commons, for about 18 minutes, he got up and he rounded on all his critics. Um... And he pretty much said, you know, it's my way or the highway. I'm not going to give up until I get a deal over the line. And if you don't like it, you can get stuffed. And at times he seemed to get quite emotional. We talked about, um, you know, receiving threats um, because of his work to try to get a deal which some people feel may not um, satisfy the most hardline unionists in terms of getting rid of the protocol. Um, 
and then he, you know, he mentioned his career in the EDR and said, you know, I was still threats from the IRA. You guys aren't going to mess with me. And it was just, yeah, I think and from across the chamber, everyone was slightly flabbergasted and kind of he praised on him and said, you know, it's about time you showed some leadership and you didn't do it. Well, I will just say this to those who stir up and those who threaten. The provisional IRA attacked me in the past and it didn't deflect me from the task that I have and my colleagues have to do our job and to get the best that we can for Northern Ireland. And I will not be deflected now. Well, before we proceed, I just, I, I want to deal with that. Do we know anything about these threats? No, I don't. Well, apparently, um, from what I've been hearing, he received two threats on Wednesday. We don't know whether they were in some sort of letter form or in emails. Um, no more details were, were um, mentioned about them. But Sir Jeffrey Donaldson did say in the speech that he was able to look up the person on the electoral register. Um, and he was able to find out they didn't vote in the last election. Um, so he must have had their either address or their full name and was able to find out who it was. So that gives us some idea. Wow. Geoffrey mm-hmm. Donaldson, as we say, his leadership style, it's mm-hmm. not confrontational. Not at all. Having said that, he did walk away from David Trimble and that was quite a, a controversial move at the time. Yeah. And we'll speak about the irony mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. um, because is he going to join the ranks of O'Neill, Faulkner, Trimble yes, and indeed. ultimately Paisley? But okay. Yeah. Until last week, until the end of last week, we'd lost all hope, I suppose. Pretty much, yeah. Be. Well, essentially what happened was, around the start of the first week in December, kind of seemingly out of nowhere, um, we heard that the uh, Secretary of State was going to fly over for roundtable talks about Stormont's finances. Um, and what came out of that was, in the first day, there was an offer of a financial package to support the return of Stormont, including money for public sector pay increases. I think originally it was $2.2 billion. Then by the Wednesday, it reached $3.3 billion. Talks were extended into the Monday, but then they fizzled out. And with no deal before Christmas, we pretty much didn't have any hope. Um, and then there were further talks um, a few weeks ago um, at Hillsborough. But again, the parties came out one after another. Um, I think it was first, it was Michelle O'Neill spoke to the media and pretty much said that didn't fill us with a lot of hope. And from that moment, we thought this is kind of dead and buried. And then what happened? Well, what was a story leaked uh, last Friday morning of a DP party officer meeting being called. We didn't know what it was going to be about, but the reports were that it was a kind of make or break. A deal was going to be put on the table for the officers. Now, they're the 12 deep senior DUP members who kind of make collective decisions for the party. Then that decision will go to the wider DUP executive for ratification. But essentially, if the party officer board endorses um, a deal, then that's pretty much it. It'd be very rare that, you know, it would get turned down by the by the executive. In the end, we don't know what happened. Um, no vote was held. It transpired later. Um, some reports were because Sir Geoffrey was worried that he might lose it. Um, and then he would be between a rock and a hard place, essentially. Sir Geoffrey later came out and refuted this. He said it wasn't a deal or no deal moment. It was just a party officer meeting where we were updating them with uh, what's the progress of the ongoing talks of the government. And then what came out of that was... Afterwards, Sir Chris Heaton-Harris came out and said, look, right, I'm going to extend this deadline, which was set there for when he would be obliged to call an assembly election. I'm going to extend it for two weeks. But we all find that a bit strange because we assumed he was going to extend it because it didn't look like he was in the offing. But we thought it would be maybe up to 10 months or a year even. But he said, no, we'll extend it for two weeks. So it was like, mm, does, does he know something that we don't hear? Um, so there seems to be a bit of manoeuvring behind the behind the scenes. Maybe Sir Jeffrey having a quiet word 
in the ear of some of his officers that might be either on the fence or being able to be persuaded to back him and trying to get some sort of final details confirmed with the government. So then the legislation to extend over two weeks was up in the Commons yesterday and this is when Sir Geoffrey had his moment. You know, one of the ways I've heard this described is that, you know, Geoffrey Donaldson wants everybody in the bus before he tries, before he tells the bus yeah. to drive well, on. He's, yeah, he's a pragmatic operator. He wants to know the outcome of a vote before he holds one. You know what I mean? We know he's not happy over the over the Windsor framework. Of course not, no. We also know that it is, I think we can report that it's going to be, would be very difficult to change anything at this stage. Very much so, in any significant way. And, yeah. we, and we also assume that Geoffrey Donaldson is a devolutionist. Very much so. But he, as I say, he always seemed to work with consensus. He wanted everyone on board. And that's why this this passionate, seemed to be unscripted speech has come as a real shock. We have to take it as a sign, don't we? We do, I think so, yeah. Because as you say, he's not someone that that, that wants division in his party, that wants splits, wants um, senior members briefing against him. I mean, he wants everyone on board and singing from the hymn him, him sheet. He's very much a man about DUP unity. But in the last few weeks, I think the frustrations just built up and built up and that he just decided yesterday, I don't know, in the chamber, it seemed very unscripted, um, just to let a light and let everyone know exactly where he stood. And it does seem, it does seem to me that he does believe that it's better for the DUP, it's better for the, the union, it's better for unionists, it's better for, I suppose he would say, for all of Northern Ireland. Very much so. To go back in, perhaps, yeah. a, 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 while still fighting the protocol. Now, he will present a formula of words in that. Yeah. Yeah, well, he mentioned yesterday in the chamber, you know, there's some, you know, hard line unionists who so made a specific point of pointing out the TVs, uh, Jim Alistair's party, and he said, you know, there were some people that would prefer an imperfect direct rule than for a return to an imperfect Stormont, but he made it very clear that's not him. He's a, a devolutionist and he believes in Stormont. There's 12 members of the DUP officer board. There is indeed. That's an even number. It is indeed. They probably should have thought about having 13, to be honest. <laughs> that uh, creates difficulties. It does indeed. And yeah. we do seem to be in a situation where there's an even split. But if one person changes tact, mm-hmm. then that changes everything. It could be. Although, yeah. if only one person changes tact, mm. then you are looking at it's that not potential. An, yeah, it's, it's not, not an ideal it's, result. It's not healthy. Yeah. But it does seem that this person who, who may have been persuaded mm-hmm. is Edwin Poots. Yeah, which is, um, could be an ironic twist to the tale. Um, Edwin Putz has a colourful relationship, shall we say, with Sir Geoffrey. Um, back in 2021, when Arlene Foster stepped down as DEP leader, um, Edwin Putz beat Sir Geoffrey um, in the road to the top spot and was elected, but he only lasted three weeks. And then Sir Geoffrey was elected um, essentially unanimously. Um, but since then, he's, he's tried to keep himself on Sir Jeffrey's side. You know, he hasn't spoken out um, too much against him, but he, he is known for having quite um, hardline views, especially towards Brexit. I mean, it was in September he said we need something seismic from the government before we go back in here. Um, but he's been reported to be as a, a soft no on any deal. Um, but if he could be persuaded, then that would give Sir Jeffrey the numbers. And it's also been reported that um, others like uh, Gregory Campbell um, is on the fence. So that would, could give um, Sir Jeffrey a 7-5. But at this stage, you know, it's all kind of informed speculation. But a 7-5 wouldn't be a great result. You know, he preferred to have a unanimous one. But it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, if that happens, you'd be relying on those on the no side for the sake of party unity, not speaking out afterwards. 
I mean, Edwin Poots is a is a big beast in the DUP. He is he, indeed. He's he, a veteran member. He's yep. a veteran member. He's a Paisleyite. He he, he, he he is. He's always been there. He's hugely respected. Mm-hmm. Who's on Jeffrey's side? Who are his squires? Well, he has his deputy leader, Gavin Robinson, who's always been a Sir Jeffrey loyalist. He's known as a pragmatic operator. He's respected from pretty much all the parties, really. Um, we have Dan Forsyth, who was actually only elected in May 2022's assembly election. And she was rapidly promoted onto the officer board. So clearly Sir Jeffrey has um, a lot of belief in her. Um, so then you might, well, you would assume that she, she would have a degree of loyalty to him. If Gordon Lyons, who's always been close with um, Sir Jeffrey and Emily Pengelly, who actually was co-opted onto the assembly to take Sir Jeffrey's seat when he decided to stay in Westminster. Yeah. And who does Sir Jeffrey find himself duelling with? Well, the most... Hardline ardent Brexiteer firmly against any that doesn't meet the DUP's so-called seven test would be former Deputy Leader Nigel Dodds, now Lord Dodds, and Sammy Wilson, who is known for not mincing his words when it comes to Brexit and making his views very, very clear. The truth is, this is not a storm and break, it's a storm and fake. It should be rejected by this House. It doesn't protect the Union. It doesn't protect democracy in Northern Ireland. And it will not get the Assembly back and running again. This is almost a cliched question, and anybody who follows politics, we love we love talk of a good split. Well, that's it, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, could we see a split in the DUP? Could we see a, a threat to Jeffrey Donaldson's leadership? I mean, 7-5 is yeah. not a great result. Well, it's possible, but you have to think. I mean, if they decide to cause a split, I mean, where are they going to go? They're not going to start a new party. And past the showing that life outside the DUP is a very cold place. Um, so I don't really think there'd be the appetite for that. So I would assume they would rather just take their medicine and just try to move on. One group of people who would certainly not be moving on is the TUV. Mm-hmm. That's beyond Jeffrey Donaldson. That's a bitter rivalry. Yeah, indeed, uh, yeah. And that's and, and the TUV take a fundamentalist stance. They, do. Uh, they defend that stance. They're proud of that stance and that's, that's their stance. Mm-hmm. Another group of people is what we would have described in this podcast as new way of loyalism. That's around people like Moore Holmes and, and obviously Jamie Bryson. Now, yeah. there's a campaign from the loyalist advocacy group, Let's Talk Loyalism. It's called Keep Your Word. It's template letters. It's, yeah. it's trying to urge the DUP to maintain its, its storm and boycott. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can see a lot of this in social media. Very much so. How significant is that? Is that and will Sir Jeffrey be taking that into account? Well, he would take it into a degree as much as that he'll notice it. Um, but I don't think he's going to let that stand in the way or make the decision for him that comes down to it. Um, I mean, let's be honest, campaigns like this that have happened before. Um, they haven't made much of a difference. The only people publicly that I've known that have sent these letters other than actual members of the, of this group are TV members. And, you know, TV is essentially a one-person party in the form of Jim Alistair. It's all about the votes, Andrew. It is all about the votes. And if it comes down to neck and neck, I mean, the TV could shave off, shave off enough votes if it stands in the general election to do some damage to the DUP. Um, but they're not going to wipe the party out by any means. Andrew Madden, thank you very much. Now I'm going to be joined by commentators Sarah Crichton and Owen Polly. So the question is, will he, won't he, should he, shouldn't he? Let's start in alphabetical order. Owen, that's you. What do you think? Well, I think it certainly appears that uh, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson will go for it at some point. It just depends when. There's been so much prevarication up to this point and uh, mixed signals from the DUP. And the, the message seems to be that we don't have a deal. We're not going for it yet. 
but that we're definitely going to go for it soon. So I do think that this is on the horizon and that he's finally sort of preparing the ground for it among his supporters. And uh, we've, we've sort of seen, you know, various leaks as well of what the what this document might contain. And it's becoming a little bit more uh, clear what we're what we're talking about. And what do you think, Owen? Do you think he do you think he's right to go back in, or do you think he should he should continue with this stand against the the Windsor Protocol? Well, I've never actually ruled out the idea that he should go back on the basis that if Stormont continues not to operate, that it may start to do damage to the union, that people may get fed up and start to explore other constitutional options. But at the same time, I don't think that he can claim that he's solved the problems with the Irish sea border or has achieved some sort of notable victory if in fact the deal doesn't appear to be a significant piece of progress in terms of making that the case and and from what we've heard so far it's difficult to sustain the idea that this is really going to address the issues that uh, Sir Geoffrey and the DUP had raised initially and used as their pretext for coming out of Stormont. Sarah, would you would you agree with what Owen said there or would you be more stronger in favour of, of, of a return to Stormont no, no matter what o- over the framework? Um, I, I would be more in favour of a return to Stormont because I think while I understand the frustration with the, with the RC border, um, I, I think that bringing down Stormont is having a detrimental effect on the union Northern Ireland having a very long-term negative impact on the union and I think you have to do two things at the same time and um, the union and Northern Ireland voting remain in the union as long as people wanted to exist and I think you know what is right you know you I think if the longer storm it is out the more people will maybe start to consider other options my concern is that they are already starting to do that the longer this goes on and then particularly with that younger generation as well which are already less inclined to be unionist as well um I, I think this this further um, affirms their idea that this place is an absolute basket case. Um, I think he will go back into Stormont. I think it's very clear that he wants to go back into Stormont. Um, I wonder, and I, I think what the case is, obviously, is there's quite clearly people inside the DUP that are not happy with this. You can tell that by the briefing that's been done to the press, that the undermining of Jeffrey Donaldson that you see. But obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a protocol pragmatist. I think they should just get back and make it work, try and improve it through the mechanisms within the protocol. You know, the DUP have promised, they promised that they would get rid of the Irish state border and, and obviously what is an offer for the government does not do that. And for those DUP supporters that were promised that this would be done, they're not going to be happy if the DUP do go back. So if they do go back, yes, there is a political risk to Jeffrey Donaldson to do this, I think. And uh, potentially, you know, could there be a split within the DUP potentially and um, further anger within unionism? And there's uh, Jim Allister, obviously, in the background as well. And his position, I disagree with it completely, but it is an honest, consistent position at that. Um, I think that could be problematic for the DUP going forward. But I, I think ultimately the DUP need to keep their eyes on the bigger picture, which is the union and on how they can secure Northern Ireland within the union. Oh, and I want to return to some of what Sarah said a little later in, in the interview, but, I, but I, I do want to clarify something and I think it needs to be clarified. My colleague Sam McBride wrote at the weekend that nationalists are wrong to think that this is about Michelle O'Neill as First Minister. That, however, is a widely held belief. Can you articulate what the big problem is over the Windsor framework? Well, I read Sam's piece and I thought that he was right, actually entirely right. And sometimes you've just got to take what a party says 
at its word and 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 uh, not be kind of reading your own subtext into it. And the DUP has consistently expressed its concern about the constitutional issues that the, the framework and, and the protocol raised and the uh, and the economic issues. So the idea of uh, that that they're they're going to block Sinn Féin as the first minister, or that's the kind of overriding um, concern in the back of the of the party's mind. I don't think can be sustained just simply because that hasn't been part of the rhetoric. It hasn't been part part of the discourse at all. I'm not denying that in the background that there aren't unionists who sort of wonder about what this uh, particular iteration of devolution is going to look like and what this particular iteration of Stormont is going to look like. And I mean, I think it's fair to wonder about how effective this uh, th this devolved assembly is likely to be if it does come back, because we've discussed, you know, over a long period of time, a lot of uh, changes that need to be made to Stormont, things like uh, reform of the health service and so on. And it seems to me that if the assembly does come back, that this executive is likely to have its face set against things like that before it even starts and the kind of reforms that the government wants to see implemented in order to improve public services and make them sustainable in the in the long term. So I think a lot of people look at what's happening and they wonder, well, if they do come back, this is going to be stalemate. It's going to be nothing achieved and it's going to be um, a very unsatisfactory form of government. But at the same time, I think the idea that uh, we can stop a nationalist first minister has uh, has never really been a, a starter. You mentioned public services. You mentioned the work that had to be done, Owen. You mentioned the health service. Last week saw the largest strikes we've seen in Northern Ireland in a generation. Chris Heaton-Harris, if you have any conscience, it's time to do the honourable thing and release the funds and release them now and pay the workers for what you're worth. Solidarity! He should release immediately the extra funding that has been secured for our public services, and that includes the public sector pay award. The Secretary of State has the power to do that. The Secretary of State has the money to do that. The Secretary of State has the responsibility at the moment to do that in the absence of Stormont, and he should get on with it. Public sector pay is devolved. Uh, to Northern Ireland. He will also know that decisions on matters like this are obviously ones that locally elected ministers should take as they involve big and fundamental choices. Now, Chris Heaton-Harris has the money to at least help this situation. He says he can't release it until Stormont comes back. Geoffrey Donaldson says, yes, he could. Sarah Creighton, you're a lawyer. Who's right? In my opinion, um, I mean, Chris Hickenharris can just release this money. He doesn't need the DUP back in Stormont. Um, I, he can do that tomorrow. It was promised to the unions before Christmas. And then it's basically been dangled over them. And essentially, Chris Hickenharris is using this as a wedge, I think, um, to try and push the DUP back into Stormont. It's also the reason why he has delivered such a devastating punishment budget to people. Um, but that was completely unnecessary as well. He didn't have to do that. He did not have to pick on the most vulnerable people in our society to make his point. Um, ultimately, yes, though, yeah, the DUP can go back into Stormont tomorrow. He will release the money. And let's not forget that, you know, there wouldn't be this. They wouldn't. He wouldn't be using this as a holdover of a threat to the union that the DUP had not collapsed Stormont. It was um, a strategically an absolute disaster in that sense. 
Um, so he can release the money tomorrow, and I think the union's position is correct in that sense that they that they do need to push the Secretary of State to fix this. It, it, the damage that's been done to public services is absolutely devastating. You know, lives have been ruined because of this budget. Um, I can tell you that now from the work that I'm doing, lives have been ruined because of it, um, and people will not forget it. So um, I think the Secretary of State needs to move quickly. Well, and it's hardly an advertisement for the union that the Secretary of State and a party with virtually no votes in Northern Ireland is using... Is, seems to be withholding vital public funds and reducing our services and affecting people's lives simply to to blackmail the DUP doesn't seem doesn't seem an advertisement to me. Well, we'll see what he does next, and there's a strong possibility that um, he's going to, if if the DUP doesn't in actual fact go back into government, that uh, Heaton Harris looks at the system as it currently operates and, and comes up with some way of releasing some money in order to um, uh, at least award pay rises and whatever. But I mean, let's not forget either that while the government has used this as a lever in a way that isn't um, particularly edifying, that a lot of the problems that we have here with our public services and with the affordability of them stem from the executive not acting on those issues over a long number of years. And I mean, just before the uh, executive, the last executive, collapsed. We were trying to get through a three-year budget, which the Northern Ireland Audit Office had just savaged as completely, um, you know, not quite fantasy stuff, but that it hadn't got uh, a strategy behind it or any kind of uh, thought about what cuts in some areas would, would do to them and, and moving money into health or whatever, would, uh, would how that would be spent. So um, while the government's tactics have been pretty unfortunate, uh, let's not pretend that a lot of these problems weren't grounded in years of um, of the executive being quite ineffective. Owen, I want to stick with you one second because I, I want to go back to something that Sarah hinted on. And this is a question, and I'm sure you're sick of it, and I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. But in the event that Stormont cannot, that, that a way cannot be fa- found to bring Stormont back, that, that we're back to zero and we start again, I mean, surely nationalists will be seeking to move on from this this current situation. I find it hard to believe that the union would actually be stronger as the result of some sort of new talks process. I mean, Stephen Farry has hinted, for example, that, you know, if, if the DUP can't come back in, if they can't be pragmatic under the current situation, that would actually lead to new constitutional arrangements. What do you think? Well, I don't think new constitutional arrangements are a starter. I mean, we've got to remember that at the, the bottom of everything else, the powers that are devolved to Stormont are devolved from Westminster. And if Stormont can't wield those powers, then it's Westminster that has to take them back. Now, it's proved very resistant to that idea over the years. And I mean, the D, one, of, one of the DUP's remarkable faux pas was to make that a more difficult process by negotiating the St Andrews Agreement in 2007, but it can be done, it absolutely can be done, and it should be done where there is a gap in governance. The government should step in and fill it because it is its powers uh, and it it has the responsibility to fill those uh, functions when they are not being filled by devolved politicians. Is that right, sir? There's just, there's, 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 is there anything to fear here for unionism? I mean, could the union be damaged or is it is it just too secure to be damaged? Um, it's one of these topics, you know, it, it comes up every couple of months and I think people make a big deal out of it. Um, 
you know, there's people talk about joint authority, which of course, and you have to ask them, well, what do you mean by joint authority? If you mean, you know, Britain, Britain and, and the Republic of Ireland both governing and having sovereignty of Northern Ireland, that's not going to happen because that's not in the Good Friday Agreement and that won't go anywhere. Um, what they usually mean is that they are, uh, the Irish government will have a consultative role, which of course is already um, embedded in the Good Friday Agreement. And I, I, my understanding is that what that means in practice is the Irish government can be consulted about matters. Um, but ultimately, the UK can say, well, we're doing what we like. And I imagine that's what will probably happen. So I don't think that's very threatening to the union, though. I imagine that even though I would consider that to be really rather boring and very dull, I'd imagine that might be for some unionists unpalatable. Um, so they might get very, very angry. But I don't think I don't think that type of arrangement with the Irish government, I don't think that potentially would affect the sovereignty of Northern Ireland. Um, as I said, the, the sovereignty of Northern Ireland will be affected the longer this this ridiculous scenario goes on and the longer unionism continues to basically just make terrible decisions year after year, in my opinion. Um, so I, I think, yeah, people are making a bit of a song and dance about this, but I think people need to be certain about what they're talking about when they talk about Plan B. I don't think it's as exciting as people think. Sarah, I have listened to Sir Geoffrey Donaldson's speech in the House of of Parliament. And that's a new Jeffrey. I haven't seen that Jeffrey. I was very surprised by that. And it does seem to me that he's strongly indicating that something's going to happen. What do you think of this speech? I I thought it was a, it was a very emotional speech from him. And I, I, I feel kind of the same way as you. I have never seen Jeffrey Donaldson like that. It was very clear. He was very passionate. He was very, very angry. Um, I wonder, was he a bit annoyed that the chamber wasn't as full as it would have been for that type of speech? Um, he quite clearly felt what he was saying very, very deeply. Um, and it, it is absolutely ridiculous that he has been threatened. And it's just unacceptable, obviously, that, that he has been threatened for apparently trying to make progress on this. Um, I do think when we talk about the situation about, you know, politicians being threatened and things like that, I, you know, I suspect it comes from the same group of people, potentially. I don't know that for certain, but I suspect it is. Um, these same groups have also threatened um, feminist activists. They've also threatened nationalists and Republicans. They've also threatened other unionists. Um, people like Doug Beatty and things like that when they have spoken up um, and these groups have been coddled by unionism over the years and have been they've gone to bed with them um, and I suppose what I'm saying is that you know I, I think as a society we really do have to very, have a very long conversation about why these groups continue to exist and they still do exist also because of conditions within our society things like poverty and economic deprivation which we're doing nothing to address um, and I just think, I hope this is a moment of reflection for the DEP about about maybe some of their decisions over the last couple of years. Owen, is, is this a watershed yeah. for you or is it? I, I, I'm not sure it's a watershed for me. I mean, I think uh, what uh, Sir Geoffrey said had a certain power because he felt that his bona fides as a politician were being attacked and he was defending um is genuine work over the years and I don't think that anybody would question that the fact that he's a genuine man who's trying his best and is in the horns of really quite a, a dilemma that um, none of us would like to be uh, like to be facing but at the same time um, when he sort of attacked other uh, unionists for their delivery and, and their lack of achievement over the years I kind of wondered about the DUP's uh, lack of achievement, and I, I think they've made an ungodly mess of an awful lot of things. And in terms of the framework and the protocol, I don't really see their achievements either. They've managed to negotiate uh, away the protocol as it was operating and get rid of grace periods under the framework. I just, I'm sorry, I don't see that as an achievement, a, a, a far less a notable one. Sarah Crichton on Polly, thank you very much. 
This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself with Graham Davidson. The assistant producer was Olivia Peden. The clips you heard were from ITV, Sky, the BBC and The Times. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a €75 O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish Independent. Terms and conditions apply.